You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 19 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and with me in the kitchen studio, as always, is my co-host Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Carlos. How are you? Okay. Bit of a mad rush there with the old uh, Tristar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had uh, a bit of a mad rush to get here today. We had uh, the uh, TriStar was being serviced at the uh, at the local garage, and uh, and I, I, I upset the garage person servicing the van because he cut his finger while servicing my van. Yes, the day before he the goes d- on holiday. The day before he goes on holiday, he injured Poor himself chap. servicing my van. Poor chap. So, uh, Andrew, if you're listening, very sorry to uh, spoil the start of your holiday to Cyprus. But uh, I'm sure he'll enjoy the flight. Well, he'll definitely enjoy the flight. Yes. He's flying, actually flying BA. Really? Mm. Um, yeah. So where is he flying uh, from and to? He's flying from, uh, I think it's Gatwick to Pathos. Yeah. Do you know Cyprus. what aircraft they fly on that route? That's the A320 or the 321. I thought you were going to say the A380 there for no, a second because no, no, no. I'd be over there like a flash. <laughs> no, no, definitely not the A380. You know, he's uh, he's uh, on the 320. I think it is when I looked up on uh, on Seat Guru. Um, so he's off there. So, um, but uh, as we record episode uh, 19, it's uh, the second of May, and it's just coming up to six o'clock in the evening. Yes, isn't it? So I'm a bit yes. later today. Um, yes, um, bit of a mad rush. Uh, it's the bank holiday weekend, um, so I would imagine. That the uh, airports are going to be quite busy over the next few days, uh, as always, on I, a bank holiday. I reckon they are. But we are due to have a bit of good weather, I think, this weekend, Simon, aren't we? Are you sure? Cause, I, th- um, I think so. <laughs> the weather uh, forecast for, is for night frost and minus two, minus three. So make sure you've got a, your de-icer at hand. Oh, during the day, it'll be warm. I'm yeah. sure it'll be sunny. It's sunny at the moment. As yeah, we record it, this, it, it, it's lovely outside. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, been the best all day, I think. So it's been a, uh, a fairly busy week uh, with uh, a few incidents and uh, bits and pieces happening uh, on the aviation side of things yeah. during the week. Simon's got some bits and pieces, uh, aviation, uh, military stuff. Things and- are really hotting up for the air show season um, for 2014. Um, we've got lots of uh, news, which I'll, I'll bring you later. Yes, he definitely has got that coming up in later on the show. We've also got our in-focus in aircraft of the week as well to bring you. Uh, as voted for by uh, you, our listeners, on Facebook. And uh, Pip uh, should have his segment uh, to us uh, sometime by the end of the show. So uh, we're going to have that uh, in, uh, inserted in in the show and Pip's uh, plane safety uh, podcast yes. segment. And uh, A nice surprise for me, looking at um, an airline making a comeback. Today. Yes, yes, we have got some news coming up on the uh, on the news today uh, about an airline that uh, this uh, maybe maybe returning maybe well maybe. It, is. It, is. It, is. Yep. it is returning it is returning. <laughs> so uh, if you're ready, then Simon, I think we should kick off today's new or this week's news. Yes, let's I, go. Let's go. So, kicking off uh, this week's news, then we've got our first story from Travel Weekly. This one is uh, about holidaymakers could be paying a fifth less uh, for summer sun holidays this year. 
UK holidaymakers could pay up to a fifth less than last year in popular European sun destinations. Lower prices can be expected in two-thirds of the European resorts surveyed for the 8th annual Post Office Travel Money Holiday Costs Barometer out today. A more powerful pound will make spending money stretch further this year, while local prices have also plunged in half of the destinations. Pathos in Cyprus has seen the biggest price fall of more than 21%, with 10 tourist staples including lunch, evening meals, drinks and sun cream, insect repellent and daily newspapers costing £62 together. However, Bulgaria's sunny beach remains the best value with a 16% fall in prices, most notably in the cost of eating out. Uh, This has enabled uh, Sunny Beach to overtake mainland Spain and the Algarve as the cheapest destination uh, in the new research. At £43, Sunny Beach's basket of 10 tourist staples is more than £10 cheaper than its uh, nearest competitor, Marmaris in Turkey, at £54, 14% cheaper than in 2013. The same items in Bodrum will all cost almost £96, which is 76% more. Uh, despite falls in both destinations, overall costs uh, are almost twice as high as in the Costas, Marmaris and the Algarve, and 135% more than in Sunny Beach in Bulgaria. So at uh, just under £55, the Costa del Sol and Costa Blanca remain the best value in the Eurozone, with only a few pence separating the two resorts, Ares and Marmaris. So that's, uh, that's good. Then it uh, could cost cheaper. It could be less, uh, cost you less to eat out and about in uh, some European destinations. Yes, uh, yeah, just a shame. I don't know they've just done a survey for Europe, but um, looking further afield, uh, the Middle East and uh, America, um, Canada as well, um, that's just um, a pos- possibility that it could uh, extend there as well. But, um, that's great, uh, great news because holidays are quite an expensive uh, uh, purchase, Um it's good news for people who, had, who take self-catering holidays, I mean, people yes. who, eat, uh, who yes. eat out, which a lot yes. of people do now take yes. self-catering holidays. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So next piece of news then from uh, the Airfast ticket site. This one is uh, regarding loot and airport. Uh, their owner, Aina, expects expansion approval within weeks. So Madrid um, Routiers, Britain, is expected to give final approval to expand Luton and extend Luton Airport in around the next few weeks for a capacity boost of 18 million passengers. The chairman of the world's biggest airport operator, Ina, said on Thursday that expansion of the airport and its runways would require an investment of £98 million, or $164.6 million. Ina's Jose Manuel Vargas told Spain's Chamber of Commerce at an awards ceremony in London, according to a statement from the company in Madrid. The contracting of the work will begin as soon as possible uh, once the necessary permits are acquired. And after a long and complex process, they hope that they'll complete, uh, come to a positive conclusion in the next coming weeks. Spain-based Ina, whose airport's division is a potential privatisation candidate, brought Luton Airport last year. And it has stakes in more than 20 airports beyond Spain and 46 at home. Luton is London's fourth biggest airport with 9.7 million passengers in 2019 and capacity for up to 12 million, Vargas said. It hopes to boost that number by 18 million passengers. Have you flown from Luton before, Simon? Uh, No, I've actually been there, um, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, um, 
to uh, pick my mum up uh, when she flew in uh, on a Concorde flight um, back in uh, January 1994. Um, we took her to Heathrow first, and then uh, by the time we'd got to Luton, stuck in the traffic, the Concorde was on finals uh, as we were uh, approaching uh, Luton. So, no, I haven't taken off or flown there, but I've uh, picked my mum up uh, on the Concorde, so... It's, I've flown from there quite a few times now because Ryanair's yeah. one of Ryanair's big hubs, places here, yeah. hubs, and uh, you know it's um, it's not too bad our airport to get to, but I think the airport itself could definitely do with the expansion. Yeah, it's not. I don't think um, uh, it's used as much as uh, Stansted uh, or um, some other uh, airports, um, but I find Stansted uh, handy uh, because it's not so far to go as uh, Luton, so. No, I, I like I said, I, I think uh, especially with the security side of things at Luton, that's the thing that could be could do with uh, being made bigger. When you fly back, the um, the, the uh, arrival sort of uh, passport control part of the airport is quite small. <clears throat> could do with uh, could do with being made bigger. But uh, no, that's good news then for for Luton Airport anyway, and also that will produce more jobs. Yes, yeah, jobs in the area. That's, that's always good news. Yes. So next piece of news then, uh, Simon will love this because uh, there's some great pictures on here. The Business Traveller site and Delta Airlines uh, in the US have unveiled their refreshed Boeing 757 business class cabin. Uh, Delta Airlines have unveiled um, their business elite cabin uh, on their first newly refurbished 757-200. The aircraft features fully fly-flat seating throughout the business class uh, section and from July the 1st, Delta will start operating three of the updated Boeing aircraft on its New York JFK to LAX route. Um, and all Delta flights between New York and Los Angeles, San Francisco and Seattle will feature the fully flat seats by summer 2015. The move continues the trend of US carriers upgrading their cabins on transcontinental flights. And early this month, American Airlines unveiled details of its new seating, including fully flat business seats on its 777-200ER fleet. Um, so just looking at the pictures there, that's, that's, on, that's quite, uh, yeah, quite impressive. Nice. And I, look, I like the, um, if we go down to the second picture here, um, obviously our viewers can't see this. We'll perhaps uh, post this up. Um, the second uh, photo, the actual uh, seats are sl- slightly tilted in towards the um, aircraft fuselage windows, yeah, um, which gives that quite a nice um, sort of open spread um, sort of uh, alleyway as you walk up, and that is quite impressive because the seven five seven two hundred um, that must be qu- getting on for being quite an old aircraft. That is quite an old aircraft now, yeah. and yeah. Um, it's nice to see an old aircraft like the seven five seven two hundred being uh, upgraded. And uh, completely stripped out and, and refurbished um, to look like a brand new aircraft, and and that is very impressive. And those those uh, leather seats and uh, everything there, that looks uh, very impressive. And also the the large screens there, they look um, yeah, large screens. Oh, it, uh, uh, I don't know what size they are. They look, is that twenty six, twenty eight, thirty plus? No, I, I reckon they're probably twenty twenty four, twenty six inch yeah. uh, uh, flat screen TVs yeah. I've got there. Yeah, but uh, no, that does look really nice. Um, you know, for it those looks, of you, it looks because um, it's a narrow, uh, slim aircraft. It, looking at the photos, it it does look um, quite a sort of nice airy feel to the cabin, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and the way they're positioned, like Simon said, the seats rather than being in the standard sort of uh, um, uh, positioning. The seats are sort of facing uh, outwards towards the sort of windows of the aircraft to give, uh, I think, a feel of more space. Yes, yeah, and that just give. And looking at the aisle, it's just a little bit more 
um, extra room in the aisle as well and how they've configured this. Yeah, it's definitely good uh, a good look there. Uh, it'd be nice to see if they do bring them across here because they do have the range, um, the yes, 757. Yes, you have got uh, 757s um, sort of actually um, operational in the uh, UK area, uh, flying uh, with, with uh, DHL. Um, I don't know where the other airlines, there's most probably some budget airlines um, do use the uh, 757 out of uh, Glasgow Airport because I've been up there numerous times and seen them a lot of the a Jet 2 I think Jet 2 yeah. use the 757 Wiz, I think Wiz Air uh, Wiz have got the, the A320s yep. um, but they're, they're still they're still a good workhorse they're one of my probably one of my top five you know favourite uh, passenger aircraft the 757 yeah so next story from the Kappa uh, website uh, this one is regarding Flybe uh, after withdrawing from London uh, Gatwick, Flybe has recently re-announced uh, its re-entry into the London market. It's to launch seven routes from London South End to be operated by franchisee Stobart Air, formerly Air Iran, using ATR equipment. Uh, in an even more eye-catching move, it will also launch five new routes from London City Airport operated by its own Q400 fleet. Flybe's initial pricing of routes from both airports looks attractive, but each has relatively high airport charges, although Stobart may offer lower costs at South End than Flybe could achieve. It will need to ensure sufficient yields in to offset the jump in charges. This may be challenging. Uh, the South End routes face little competition, but it's not a premium yield market, while the London city attracts business travellers and a good airline yield. Flybe's routes from there will face significant competition uh, on a city pair basis, including LCC competitors, and Flybe is still sub- implementing a Im- uh, important cost reduction program by achieving good yields. It'll be the key to success on its new routes. Um, so these new routes then are going to be uh, operated um, by Flybe's choice of aircraft, which will be the 78-seat Bombardier Q400. Um, and they expect to carry 500 passengers annually on these routes, uh, which, given the frequency, suggests a targeted load factor of only 55%. Nevertheless, there is a very ambitious uh, ambitious passenger target, given that the airport handled a total of 3.4 million passengers in 2014. So that's uh, that's good news for Flybe, then, yes, getting out of yes, uh, um, London South End. Yes, I think they've, done a, uh, they've jumped on the bandwagon at the right time here, because... Um, Flying out of uh, London City, um, they've jumped into a sort of uh, an area which is um, a sort of used, as we were saying, or as you were saying, by the uh, business users. So I think it's um, a good idea for them to uh, be using that and most probably cutting their costs um, from uh, withdrawing from Gatwick and using South End and uh, trying to make up a bit and uh, hopefully passing the costs on to the uh, customer. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, definitely good that uh, some more business is going out of South End. Anyway. Yes, yes, because um, that um, South End airport is booming, and um, I think uh, that's going to be a, an airport um, one to watch. And uh, hopefully, one day I may fly out of there. And the same for you as well. Yep, definitely. Okay, so next piece of news then is from the Travel Mole website. This one uh, is regarding an airport we've talked about in the past. Cambridge uh, Airport um, and the airline CityJet are launching two new routes from Cambridge Airport. So CityJet is launching uh, two new uh, routes with flights from Cambridge Airport to Dublin and Amsterdam. Operated by a Fokker 50 with a capacity of 50 people, the flights will start on May the 12th and are bookable from today. 
Both routes will operate twice daily during the week and daily at weekends. From Cambridge to Dublin, flights leave at nine, uh, 10 past 9 in the morning and 5.15 in the evening during the week and at 9.10am on Saturdays and 5.15pm on Sundays. The return flights from Dublin leave at 11.05am and 7, uh, 10 past 7 in the evening during the week and 5 past 11 in the morning on Saturdays and uh, it's 10 past 7 in the evening on Sundays. From uh, Ca- Amsterdam to Cambridge, uh, the flights leave at half 8 in the morning and uh, 20 to 5 in the evening, and during the week uh, at half past 8 on Saturdays and at 4.40 on Sundays. Christine Gumarez, City Jet's Chief Executive Officer, said that they know that the market has the demand on this route, and they know that they can provide vital access to these communities. So I never really thought of Cambridge Airport, Simon, to, to be an airport to go and, and fly somewhere from. Uh, no, because um, a lot of the time um, I've uh, associated it mainly with um, uh, aircrafts. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, getting uh, aircraft service. And I know the Vulcan um, has a lot of uh, work done there and uh, numerous other um, sort of airshow aircraft. So there is um, an airport that's, um, like I say again, um, another sort of business um airline has uh jumped onto the an, another airport uh so it's a good uh, good idea and uh, it just gives us more flexibility and uh traveling from wherever uh, to get um, from the uk to europe or um ireland so that's a good thing and uh we've got the um this is quite a familiar aircraft the uh, Fokker 50 um it used to be uh klm uh one of klm's uh, fleet the uh Fokker 50, and uh, used to be the uh, Fokker F-27, um, which is now uh, retired from their fleet. But the Fokker 50 uh, twin prop aircraft is um, an aircraft that I've flown many a times and uh, enjoy so much. And that is a regular um, that is a regular visitor to London City Airport as well, and um, that should be ideal for the uh, route. Yeah, I think that's a great idea if Cambridge are going to have more flights, especially to Dublin. That's uh, quite a popular a yeah. route, I think, the Dublin route. Perhaps definitely good. Amsterdam as well. They are. Look, we could go there on a Friday evening and uh, come back on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We'll have to run that by the wives. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that would go down too well. <laughs> but uh, no, that's good news for Cambridge Airport then. Next one is uh, on the uh, EDP24 website. This one is regarding our local airport again. This and is our local paper as well. Our the local EDP. paper, the EDP, yeah. Uh, Norwich International Airport are to offer a new Mediterranean destination. So holidaymakers from East Anglia, our home turf, uh, have been handed a Mediterranean boost with the announcement of a new sunshine destination from Norwich International Airport. Thompson First Choice uh, and First Choice have combined to announce that in the summer 2015, they will be increasing capacity by introducing a new route to Mahon and Menorca. The plans for summer 2015 also include the addition of a further weekly flight for existing route Dalaman in Turkey. The move is part of the tour operator strategy to ensure customers across the UK can fly from their local airport, and the new route went on sale on the 24th of April. By adding the extra flight to Dalaman, customers flying from Norwich will now be able to choose varying destinations in Turkey not just the standard seven and 14 night stays. 
Andrew Bell, chief executive of Norwich Airport, said that his object, uh, the objectives are to provide an ever-increasing range of top-quality holiday destinations and a product to the holidaymakers in our region. Working closely with the Thompson and First Choice, that we are making good progress in achieving this. That's good news then for Norwich Airport, yes, Simon. Um, They're uh, gradually uh, starting uh, to build up uh, a good um, yes. sort of uh, splattering uh, of uh, destinations. Yes, right and um, I think before long, because we've had a sort of expansion on the terminal a few years back now. Uh, I can't remember, about uh, three to four years back. But um, it's going to need another expansion, uh, not bef- uh, for too long, because... Um, there's more and more aircraft, and the passenger numbers are increasing on a regular basis here, so it's creeping up. And uh, I wonder if we can get the. Uh, I know Thompson's first choice. They have the uh, Dreamliner. Has that is that enough runway for that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely enough runway for the Dreamliner coming to Norwich. Um, I mean, they have the seven five coming there. Yes, and uh, there's also been a seven six coming there, and that's that's on a par. Yes, and I remember years ago the uh, old Britannia Airlines um, 767s coming in there, but I know that the 75s, uh, you have to quote me on this, and the uh, larger aircraft do have to go on another stop to Manchester and they can't land completely full. So Hmm. that may be... um, And just a bit of information for you, Simon, a lot of the uh, ex-Britannia 767s uh, are still in use by Thompson. Really? Uh, you can spot them because they've got the uh, registrations of normally a BY with an OG at the end of yes. the registrations. Oh, so they've, that, that's uh, nice, uh, keeping the registration numbers of the old uh, Britannia. Britannia, yeah, you can still see spot them without the old 767s. Yeah, yeah they're still, still, Thompson are still using a few of them. Yes, um, I've flown there many a times out to sort of uh, European destinations, uh, skiing and summer holidays, and... Uh, that is uh, perhaps an airline uh, feature which we may uh, do in a coming uh, podcast. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we should do. Really. We should do um, p- possibly um, uh, an airline that's gone or or something uh, on a podcast. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll have to put it to uh, put it to a vote. We'll choose some um, some defunct airlines. and yes. uh, see what our listeners. Yeah. Can come I can up think with. of one I used to fly on as National Airlines yeah, in National America. Airlines. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> oh, the SDA. Anyhow, moving on, we can't uh, can't sit here and digress. No, I'm we smelling that. I'm smelling shot. that food in that oven. <laughs> yeah, I've got a joint of beef cooking in the oven right now, so it's probably not a good idea that we record in kitchen studios. Really, not when we're cooking, because uh, otherwise we'll be cooking as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, next piece of news from Birmingham Airport's uh, site then is uh, some good news as well. Thompson and First Choice are increasing capacity and introducing five new routes from Birmingham Airport. More choice, more variety, and local routes for Birmingham Sunseekers. So Thompson and First Choice increase capacity from Birmingham Airport uh, to introduce five new routes. Uh, they're pleased to announce that in summer 2015, there'll be increasing capacity at Birmingham Airport through the introduction of over 37,000 additional seats and five new routes <coughs> to Agadir, Morocco, Charnia, Greece, Derbia, Tunisia, and Porto Santo and Sal Cape Verde. The plans for summer 2015 also include the additional further weekly flights for existing routes to Dubrovnik, Croatia, Catalonia, Greece, Antalya, Turkey and Paphos, Cyprus, bringing the total destinations on offer from Birmingham Airport to 46 destinations. 
The move introduces these new routes as part of the UK's largest tour operator strategy to ensure customers across the UK can fly from their local airport and stay at the best hotels in some of the more exciting destinations. These new routes went on sale from the 24th of April and not only will customers from the Midlands now be able to fly some fantastic destinations, they'll also have the opportunity to choose varying durations, not just the standard 7 and 14 day stays. So Birmingham, then everyone seems to be yes, increasing uh, um, capacity. Um, they capacity. all seem to be uh, following the same route, don't mm. they? Uh, Norwich, uh, Birmingham, and a few other airports. Uh, obviously, um, London City and uh, Southend. They're all just uh, seems they're trying to increase the um, uh, capacity and demand um, just to get more people to fly, which uh, is a good thing uh, for all us uh, passengers uh, wanting to get anywhere. From the UK into uh, Europe, as I said before, or Ireland. So it's good. Good, good. Travel Mole then next. Uh, little known airline rated best for value for little money. So I don't know how they can say British Airways as a little known airline, but British Airways has been ranked the best airline in almost every category except value, where it was pipped to the post by low cost carrier Norwegian. BA came first for its food and drink and onboard experience, its style and customer service on short-haul flights, according to the survey, by travel search site Skyscanner. But Norwegian was a surprise contender by coming second in most of the categories in the first, uh, but first place for value for money. EasyJet came uh, second in the best for value for money category, with British Airways <coughs> taking third place while Ryanair failed to make it even into the top five. What a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Skyscanner's Mary Porter said, uh, being a super brand and one which Brits are very proud of, it's perhaps not surprising that British Airways has scooped the top spot in the survey. However, it's particularly interesting to see such strong results for a far less well-known airline like Norwegian, taking second place, and goes to show that low cost does not necessarily mean an inferior product or service. The survey was uh, taken with 4,000 British travellers, and they were surveyed on their opinion of the airlines flying short-haul destinations from the UK. So uh, that's quite good, BA then. I'm still yet to fly with BA, but uh, hopefully uh, we may uh, get to fly with BA at some point this year Yes, um, to a destination. Yeah, this was uh, following on from what I uh, said earlier before we went on air um, about the... Um United Airlines was um, on the sort of worldwide uh, customer service. Um, they were one of the worst, um, and I've flown there many a time, so we'll have to perhaps look into that. So we've got the next piece of news then uh, from the UTV Live site, uh, Ryanair. Uh, this is something that I picked on the news feed because it's uh, something that uh, I found was very helpful to me the other day. Uh, a man who took to Facebook to vent his frustrations at Ryanair off, uh, after plans to fly to Bratislava for a family wedding went awry, as in his post shared tens of thousands of times on Facebook. According to James Lockley, the airline certainly didn't fa- uh, fail to provide him with an experience, but it wasn't exactly a positive one. <coughs> Uh, they treated uh, the the family badly, cost us loads of money, and made them eventually miss the wedding reception through a display of incompetence. And uh, they didn't actually get to to get to go to the wedding in the end. Um, he he posted this this uh, rant on Facebook, and obviously it's had a massive following. But he's yet to hear anything at all back from uh, Ryanair's customer service. 
Now, this is something I found the other day, Simon. We had uh, certain issues with uh, uh, a certain bank in the UK. Yes. Um, <coughs> who who were being awkward in their in their branch. So uh, we uh, tweeted uh, on the web on the tweet Twitter page for the particular uh, bank. And within two minutes, we had a reply from customer services trying, begging us uh, to uh, to sort of uh, you know, sort our problems out for us. Yes, yeah. Uh, I think um, these social media sites are a great help and a uh, way of uh, frustrating uh, your uh, anger. Yeah, definitely. It, it does pay to because most airlines, a lot, most airlines do uh, have Twitter accounts now. So if uh, if you can't get any uh, joy by emailing a customer services site, find uh, find the uh, Twitter account for um, the particular company you're not impressed with and uh, just send them a tweet because nine times out of ten you will get a reply very yes. quickly. And um, following on from this, um, by doing this, they they don't actually need any bad publicity from anybody. No, so no, they no. are going to tweet back to you very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, and try to get you to sort of uh, just sort of tone down your comments. <laughs> in other so, words, so yeah, there's no there's obviously no need to uh, to swear or use any sort of thing. But you know, you word things a certain way, and like I said, it's social media is a great way. Of making customer or uh, making a company, sorry, uh, listen to uh, to what your problems are. So remember that one for future listeners. If you uh, have any issues with airlines, uh, just go on Twitter or Facebook. So next story, then uh, this is one that Simon found uh, before we got the show started. This one is from the BBC News uh, website. This one was an uh, incident that happened uh, this week at East Midlands Airport, and flights were suspended after an aircraft uh, from the freight company Air Contractors um, had a Boeing 737-400 suffer a landing gear failure on uh, just after landing at East Midlands Airport at around 0300 British Standard Time. The two crew members on board, uh, uh, who none of which were injured, um, but they uh, said uh, that the airport had to close for quite a while Due to uh, due to the actual incident, and uh, according to the report, after the aircraft had landed and was taxiing off uh, onto a taxiway, the left-hand side main landing gear collapsed, and uh, the aircraft suffered a failure. Um, but it's uh, it like I said, it blocked the runway mm. when they had to close the runway and uh, make safe the aircraft as soon as possible. The investigators from the Air Accidents Investigation Branch, the AAIB, um, were at the airport and uh, the Wendy Bird from Castle Donington in Leicestershire was supposed to be flying to Mallorca to meet up with a cruise ship along with a lot of other passengers, um, which were all delayed uh, due to this incident. Um, but looking at the pictures here, Simon, the uh, landing gear is completely separated from yes, the uh, uh, actual strut. Yeah, it's uh, completely wrenched off here, and it's the um, uh, uh, left uh, undercarriage that's gone. I'm just wondering whether this has had a, um, a quite a severe uh, crosswind uh, heavy landing or whether it's been something a little bit different. Um, but for this to actually have sheared off, it must have been quite a hard or... Um, substantial uh, landing um, to to actually completely uh, shear the uh, two uh, wheels off the uh, undercarriage here, um, which I'm uh, looking at the photo, and uh, it's got um, an invest- air, 
air crash investigator uh, walking towards the uh, set of wheels, which is turned on its side um, with loads of cables hanging out of the actual um, uh, gearing of the um, undercarriage uh, wheels. So um, that looks quite um, a severe landing. What do you think? That's, he's well, I, he's I, either I, um, had a um, an undercarriage failure... I think it's definitely going to be a structural failure because yeah. the aircraft itself was uh, seven three seven four hundred, so it's a fairly old. Uh, fairly old aircraft yes. which probably started off life as uh, as a passenger aircraft yes. and been converted to uh, converted to freight. I can't actually see the uh, registration of the aircraft no. to sort of find no, out. That is um, on the top. If we look here, that's on the. Um fuselage is that um the big numbers on the back there? yeah can't that's the picture's not quite clear enough to see what the registration um, was the in actual there, but... front two um wheels under the cockpit are actually off the ground for, by a few feet um because the wheels are actually wrenched off um so looking at the picture i'm i'm thinking it's been a, a heavy substantial landing has caused this or like uh, just a a failure of the undercarriage uh, gearing and it's just uh, collapsed on landing and just wrenched it completely off. Um, but it's quite a, a looking at the po uh, pictures with, the an, wheel, air, with the, an aircraft of that age. It's, yes, it's, it's probably structural. You know, it's yes, got to be. Yeah. Yes, but luckily um, they haven't uh, used the emergency uh, escape chute. They've got uh, just a set of ladders on one of the pictures um, going down a normal sort of um, shed or uh, garden and household ladders. Um, but the um, they haven't actually. Look as though they've made a sort of um, emergency chute exit, so which is um, good. So yeah, so uh, luckily that was a, a good outcome <clears throat> from that. Obviously, the pilots uh, walked away from that one. The aircraft is uh, obviously going to need uh, 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 some sort of structural uh, checkup, yes. and the uh, uh, the number one engine will probably need uh, some. Uh, some viewing, I yes. expect. Oh, from... I would imagine what they'll do with this is um, they'll either have a crane. Um, they would have used a crane to jack this aircraft up or um, uh, remove it and then um, try and uh, get it serviceable again. Uh, so, yeah. So next story then from airportsinternational.com site. Uh, this one is uh, regarding Heathrow's Terminal 4 and Etihad have unveiled their Dreamliner display on the roundabout coming into Terminal 4. Quite a stunning picture there, Simon. Yes. <clears throat> um, on the 28th of uh, April, Etihad unveiled its eye-catching promotional structure near the entrance to London's Heathrow Terminal 4. The eye-catching structure uh, uniquely features an array of three huge 9.5-metre-long models of the 787 Dreamliner. The aircraft located on the roundabout on the approach to Terminal 4 and the airline estimates the three model aircraft in full Etihad Airways livery, each weigh 1.4 tonnes, with a wingspan of 10 metres. They'll be seen by more than 6.6 million people every year as they drive around the roundabout or past the roundabout. James Hogan, Etihad Airways President and Chief Executive Officer, commented that Heathrow is one of Etihad's Airways' most popular destinations, and they're delighted to use one of the most prominent and well-known locations at the airport to promote the 787 aircraft, which will take delivery of later this year. The Etihad roundabout has been unveiled as the airline celebrates its 10th anniversary of service from London Heathrow, its first destination outside the Middle East region. Etihad says more than 2 million passengers have flown on its services between Heathrow and Abu Dhabi since 2004. 
Today, Etihad Airways is the largest airline customer for the 787 with 71 of the aircraft on order. And Etihad Airways currently operates three flights a day from Heathrow as well as a twice daily service from Manchester to Abu Dhabi where passengers can connect to its network of destinations in Africa and the Middle East. That's quite a stunning uh, display, really, Simon. On yes, the, on the yes. Um, I'm going to add a little bit to this. Um, Terminal 3, can you remember they used to have the, uh, when the Concorde was in active service, yeah. they had the uh, the Concorde uh, was actually there. Then that got removed, That's and it, yeah. Emirates have got, uh, the last time I looked, three em- Emirates have got one A380 That's on it, the Terminal yeah. uh, 3, just as, before you go under the uh, sort of runway where the tunnel is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, these, I, I think that sort of makes an airport... Um, just that little bit more exciting as you, an adventure as you've gone Definitely. on holiday. For the children, especially. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah. I know uh, one thing, uh, if I uh, turn up there with uh, my girls, um, they will go absolutely mad. Or, and, and I'm sure any adult or child would, would do the same, to have three lovely aircraft, um, A380s there. Um, well, yeah, three, 787. Oh, there's 787. 787, I'm getting confused here. <laughs> He's getting confused. He's talking about the, 380s. We've got the A380, which is at Terminal 3, uh, Emirates still, and then we've got the uh, 787s. But that um, that looks as though they've spent quite a lot of money on that. They're on Definitely, a lovely yeah, uh, yeah. sort of uh, stand here. And these aircraft look similar to what you, uh, sort of a model you'd have in your um, sort of lounge or something. I'd love one of these in my lounge. Yes. They wouldn't fit in my lounge, but uh, I'll tell you what, if I had a huge garden... I would have one of these in my garden. Yes. My wife would not like it, but no. I would definitely like it. But you've it. got the TriStars here, haven't we? Yes, yes, I have. If you've been following, uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see that uh, this week I uh, treated myself uh, to some TriStar models. Um, one, uh, one um, British Airways. British Airways, TriStar. Yes. And and two other smaller, slightly smaller diecast models. One of the RAF tanker in the desert uh, colours. And a Stargazer Orbital TriStar, which are currently uh, on the shelves around the house. Yes. Much uh, much to my wife's disappointment. (laughs) Disgust. Disgust, Um, yeah. But um, I haven't had a look at those, um, Carlos, for the first time and um, had a... um, When you put them in my hand, they were quite um, heavy aircraft and the detail on them... uh, uh, due to the scale, is uh, quite impressive. Yeah, they are great, great models. I, I, I had to treat myself. I'm cause... sure we're going to see a larger one coming into the house before long. <laughs> oh, she, oh, God, blimey. I'd, I'd never hear the end of it, I think. Uh, for, the, for those guys listening who've, uh, who do like their models and stuff, um, yeah, you, you know what we you know what I'm saying. When the, when the wife sees an, another model appear somewhere mm. and uh, it doesn't go down too well. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'll get another one. so next uh, story then is on Ryanair's website Ryanair are to buy five more Boeing 737-800 aircraft the new order increases from the 175 that originally ordered to 180 aircraft with four in 2015 and one in 2016 Ryanair, Europe's favourite low fares airline, today announced uh, that it is uh, confirmed that it's agreed to buy five more 737-800s directly from Boeing, four of which will be delivered in early summer 2015, and the fifth is going to be delivered in February 2016. So the five new aircraft brings the total value of Ryanair's order book to over $16 billion at current list prices. Ryanair will now take 21 aircraft deliveries up to uh, up from the 17th 
uh, up to 17 between September 2014 and July 2015 which will enable the airline to operate more routes and additional frequencies on its existing summer routes for 2015. Uh, good news then for Boeing then, Simon. Yes, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not too sure on uh, how uh, Boeing and uh, Airbus work on building aircraft, but what are aircraft all built to order? I'm putting you on the spot here. Are they built to order or do they actually have some in stock? Because we've got Mojave they, Desert. They are built to order, Simon. Yeah? Yeah, they, they, the orders come in and, and the airline manufacturers build build to order. Right. Um, there is quite a backlog, actually. Air, Airbus and Boeing have both got uh, quite a backlog of aircraft orders. Yes. Because um, a lot of uh, lot of fleets and a lot of different airlines are starting to get uh, quite old now. Yes. And with the price of fuel, um, airlines are looking for economy. They want the, the cleaner, leaner, greener yes. um, yeah. aircraft in their fleets. Yes. So no, um, some aircraft do uh, come out of the uh, cancelled orders, do come out of factories and then uh, uh, go um, to straight to Mojave and be stored. Um, but, um, obviously, um, most of them are built to order, as you said. So next piece of news from Flight Global's website, uh, another one that Simon picked on before we come in on the uh, studio today. Uh, this one is regarding Boeing's 787-900 series Dreamliner, uh, which is nearing entry into service with its launch customer, Air New Zealand. It's on schedule for a mid-year start of operations. So far, the program has seen uh, uh, or been unscathed by any developmental and testing breakdowns that plagued the uh, introduction of the 787-800 more than three years late in 2011. Functional and reliability testing in the last step is the last step in the certification process, and they've started on the 787-900 in Al Nippon Airways livery after the flight test team accumulated 550 flight hours uh, and one or sorry 550 flights and 1300 flight hours since it first started flying in September 2013 as a group of journalists were allowed to tour one of the 7487900 test aircraft for the first time on the 29th of April at Boeing's field in Seattle Company officials again emphasised how painful lessons from the 787-800 series should lead to a smoother path to certification and a reliable start to operational service for the 6 metre or 20 foot longer variant. Most of the reliability improvements added to the 787-800 since entering into service with Al Nippon Airways in October 2011 have been rolled into the first 787-900 on the production line, says Mark Jenkins, Vice President of the 787 development. Air New Zealand is going to have essentially all of the improvements that we've done and driven from the 800 series. In addition, they've made some changes on the 900 series um, where something uh, is quite unique, where they've taken additional steps to make sure they don't have any reliability issues with those unique uh, components. For example, the 787-900 introduces a hybrid laminar flow control system embedded in the vertical fin. Boeing is keeping details of the invention closely guarded secret, but the goal is to reduce drag significantly in cruise flight by preventing the airflow around the fin from transitioning into a turbulent stream. Although the system is a first on the commercial airliner, Boeing is confident that it's found a practical design that will meet reliability goals at the start of operational services. 
Boeing officials acknowledge airlines may feel wary about the prospect of introducing the new variant of the 787. Uh, the 787-800 is still struggling to meet industry standards. A 99.5% uh, dispatch rating more than two years after entering service and after two explosions in of the batteries in 2013 grounded the fleet for four months. Uh, Jenks acknowledges that the side of body join, a section that caused a major redesign and delay in, on the 800 series, also posed problems on the 900 series. There are a few freaky minor adjustments that we had to make on the process on the lower side of the body for the 900 series, but nothing major. That's why we're able to pretty much meet our schedule for the rollout of the 900 series. So uh, hopefully then, Simon, this will be a bit more of an easier uh, aircraft for uh, yeah, so Boeing to, uh, to to sort of bring out into service. Yes, roll out into service. Um, it seems uh, more reliable, um, looking at the, more what you've just read here, um, with um, they seem to have ironed out all the uh, troublesome uh, uh, problems they had with the uh, 7878. And hopefully, um, I have uh, seen this on uh, numerous um, uh, sites, Twitter and Facebook, that this 7879 may be making a debut at um, Farnborough Air Show. So we'll keep you updated on that. Yeah. Flight Global End, next one. Uh, two more bits of news to come before we move on the uh, show. Air Canada are expecting uh, the first 787 Dreamliner in their fleet in May this year. Air Canada expects to take delivery of its first 787 Dreamliner uh, in and around May, on around about the 18th of May, a spokesman for the airline said. The carrier will fly the 251-seat uh, 787-800 between Toronto Pearson International Airport and Tokyo Haneda International Airport, starting services from the 1st of July, as well as between uh, Toronto and Tel Aviv. Air Canada plans to receive three 787s in the second quarter, and the airline says that it will temporarily fly them on transatlantic and domestic routes to introduce passengers to the service before the dedicated routes begin. Air Canada has ordered 15 787-800 Dreamliners that will begin deliveries in May, as well as 22 787-900s that will be, uh, begin deliveries in July 2015. The airline plans to receive all of their aircraft by 2019 and the carrier's 787-800s will feature international business class, premium economy and economy class cabins. So another airline then taking the, yes, um, uh, the these, Dreamliner on. These uh, Dreamliners um, seem uh, quite uh, popular, but that's an odd configuration, uh, 251 seats. Uh, that's an odd number, isn't it? That's uh, very strange. Isn't it? Yeah, but uh, at least... Uh, Airlines are starting to, uh, to 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 take on the the Dreamliner. Yes, yeah, so I think it's sort of filling the gap uh, that the uh, Boeing, uh, I think it's the seven six seven, has left. So still a good workhorse. Though, yes, the 767. yes, as we we're talking about. So last piece of news, then uh, this is one that uh, Simon again told me about before we start the show. Um, it's it's uh, a really good piece of news, actually. For those of you uh, listening, if you go to the World Airline News website, you'll be able to see the pictures of what we're just about to talk about, and uh, it's quite stunning. Uh, Pan American Airways, for those of you who remember Pan Am, uh, they're to revive the Pan Am brand with Boeing 737-800s. 
Pan American Airways Global Holdings Incorporated New York is the parent holding company of six brands of the Pan American family. The would-be paper airline wants to revive the Pan Am name and brand, and if it does, it will be the fourth version using the venerable name. On April the 5th, the company issued its, this statement. Pan American Airways is pleased to announce that it has completed formal selection of its aircraft for the planned launch early this summer to include the 737-800 models with upgrades to the next gen later as service needs develop. In late March of 2014, Pan American entered into discussions with an undisclosed leaser uh, that is well positioned to support Pan Am's growth strategy within the southern tier markets and have ratified formal agreements uh, through an issued LOI early Friday and will be supported with a signed purchase agreement once aircraft delivery is ready to proceed. Senior executives close to the negotiations continue to monitor the formal deliveries of the aircraft as certain criteria need to be met in order to deliver the specified flying experience that the brand wishes to extend to its audience. Pan American is committed to delivering top flight level of service that was once enjoyed by many worldwide and all those expectations will extend to the new 21st century business model as we continue to proceed with our plans to launch early to mid of summer this year. In other Pan American news, cruise selections will begin early to mid next week for both in-flight attendants as well as needed captains and first officers and will be formally addressed through the appropriate department heads from each section through upcoming published releases to be issued to the public. However, those that wish to apply formally online may do so by submitting their respective resumes via our online source through hr at paaglobal.com. According to the company, Pan American strives to be the industry leader providing a safe, clean and reliable, cost-effective air service. Pan American Global Aircraft will deploy under our new network of brands as well as wholly owned subsidiaries of Blue Sky Airlines and P21 Air. So, Simon, that's uh, that's great then. Pan Am back, uh, back in the air. Yes, yeah, that's um, good news. And uh, the uh, livery doesn't look... Uh that much different uh, from uh, previous, does it? It's um, got a little bit of a nicer tail, um, but it's still the old uh, blue. There used to be a lighter blue than that, though, um, mm. the logo. But it's got the uh, picture of the Boeing 787-800. We'll get that right. And um, it looks quite nice with the Pan Am down the side and the big uh, blue winglets and the... Uh, globe on the back of the uh, tail definitely yeah for those of you listening if you go to the world airline news website you'll be able to see the pictures uh of this aircraft the uh, pan am 737-800 um looks it does like simon said looks really good it's got the pan am on the sides um and with the winglets that looks uh, with the blue winglets looks yes. really good so what we got we got the 737-800 model um any other aircraft um they're going to be using in the future no, according to just just uh, at the moment, it's just the uh, seven three seven eight hundred series. Yes, um, but well, that's, uh, a, that's a start, though. And, a start. Um, um, possibly uh, see it um, sort of uh, getting uh, a little larger and take off again. Yeah, Pan Am was a was a, was a big airline when it was a big. I mean, yes. even I can remember Pan Am um, back when I was a child. Yes, um, seeing that the you know the big. I think the one that always sticks in my mind is you know they had the big big seven four seven jumbos, didn't they? With the uh, yes. All gorgeous, uh, gorgeous sort of dis- uh, colours on there, and um, with all has the names, the clipper names. 
and always had the uh, clipper names yes. on the sides of the yes. aircraft. So we're going to bring the news segment in to a close for this week, and uh, we're going to come back to you after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. And now, it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hi everyone, Pilot Pip here. This week, I'm going to be taking a look at what happens when things go wrong. How do we as a crew safely deal with matters when things aren't quite going to plan? Maybe something unexpected has happened or... There's a technical problem with the aircraft. Or maybe a more serious emergency situation is developing. And dealing with the unforeseen is where a pilot really earns his pay. Anyone can learn to fly an aeroplane, push the buttons, program the computer. But it takes skill and experience to handle the unexpected. And this is where a good pilot proves his worth. It may surprise you to hear that the unexpected isn't really, well, all that unexpected. Aeroplanes are fragile and break frequently, and procedures to deal with the more serious issues are practiced and discussed frequently in the simulator, so that if they do occur for real, the response from the pilot is well rehearsed. Aeroplanes, as I said, are complicated machines with many systems and moving parts, and it's not uncommon for things to break. Valves get stuck, switches can get broken, buttons fall off, etc. And in many cases, a single malfunction won't necessarily be a safety concern, and the aircraft can still be dispatched for flight. And the book we're looking for this is called The Minimum Equipment List, or MEL, and this is a reference book in the cockpit, and it lists all the aircraft systems and functions, and shows those which can be unserviceable for flight, and what precautions and actions, if any, need to be taken, and how long the aeroplane can continue to fly until it's been fixed. For example, on my aircraft, if I fly in the thrust reversing system on the engine is broken I'll go to the MEL and I'll find that in fact the aircraft can still be dispatched for flight and can continue to fly for up to 10 days before it needs to be fixed provided that certain actions are taken by maintenance 
and the MEL lists most major components from engine systems, hydraulics, communications, landing gear, flaps, etc. And all defects and unserviceabilities need to be entered into the aircraft technical logbook, and this can then be tracked by the maintenance department, and once fixed by an engineer can be signed off. The MEL entries, however, are only applicable on the ground before the start of the flight. Once airborne, it largely becomes a matter of crew discretion as to how to continue the flight if there is a problem. If a fault occurs in flight, and again, it's not uncommon that faults do occur, the first indication the crew may get is a warning light on the annunciator panel, called an ECAS panel in the Airbus or ECAM in Boeing's. And this is the array of lights that shows system statuses. Usually when everything's working fine, the lights are out. And when something's not working properly, a parameter out of limits for example, then the lights will come on. It's a yellow light meaning caution, or a red light meaning urgent. And with every red and yellow status warning light, there's an associated checklist in the aircraft manual. So upon identifying the fault, the checklist is the first port of call for the pilot. The usual practice is for both pilots to acknowledge the fault, and the pilot flying will continue to fly the aircraft concentrating on that, and the pilot not flying will read through the checklist and accomplish all the required actions. The pilot flying should monitor his colleague to double-check that the correct buttons and levers are being moved. And in fact, this is one of the many standard operating procedures that airlines have, and standard operating procedures, or SOPs, are of vital importance in the cockpit, and it's important that all pilots follow them to the very letter. And doing so ensures a common practice amongst crews and makes sure everyone's in the loop and reading off the same page, so to speak. In the case of multiple failures, it may not be apparent what the primary cause is. And it's always beneficial with any abnormality to sit back for a few moments, take some time and look around the cockpit and make sure that you're taking in all the information available to hand. Running an incorrect checklist could have some very serious consequences. And this is where a thorough understanding of aircraft systems is useful. Every six months we go into the simulator for a week to practice our skills flying in abnormal and emergency situations. But we also have classroom sessions too in which we revise and discuss and refresh our technical knowledge of the aircraft. Sometimes it can take a little bit of detective work to correctly diagnose a fault. And the better your system's knowledge, the more successful you're likely to be. Once the checklist has been completed, the problem may or may not have been rectified. And as a crew, you'll then need to have a discussion as to how you want to proceed with the flight. There are many strategies and techniques trained by the airlines as to how to approach this sort of decision making. And one of the most common used is DODAR, that's D-O-D-A-R. And this is an acronym and stands for Diagnose, Options, Decide, Assign and Review. And the D is for Diagnose. And it's the first step in solving a problem and making a decision. It's necessary to find out what's wrong and, if possible, what caused it. Often with modern aircraft, the Boeings and Airbuses, the system or computer will diagnose the fault for you, but it's still important to confirm yourself what the problem is and avoid what they call confirmation bias, i.e. initially trusting in, in that first, uh, uh, first diagnosis, because it may well be the wrong one. Then O for options is determining what choices you have given the problem and the circumstances. 
Not all faults are urgent and require immediate action. If action is required, such as the diversion, there may be choices to be made as to which airfield to go to, or maybe one where there's engineering support, or perhaps you need a longer, longer runway given the problem. So all the options need to be thought through as a crew and discussed. Then the D is for decide, choosing the best option available to you. In a modern cockpit environment, this should be discussed with both crew members, but also the cabin crew, and possibly if you have a satellite phone or a radio frequency available, you can talk to your company headquarters, talk to the maintenance department, and as a team, decide on the best course of action. And then the A is for assign, or sometimes act, and is to carry out the appropriate action and assign the tasks to the appropriate people. For example, if fuel is a consideration, you might assign someone to keep uh, an eye on the time, start a stopwatch, and to monitor how much time is passing before a critical action needs to be taken. And then the R for a review. This is possibly the most important process in the whole stage, and it's a constant ongoing process. You need to constantly review what actions you've taken and if they're having the desired outcome. And it's perfectly acceptable to reevaluate and review decision making and come up with a new plan if appropriate. And all this might seem like common sense, but formalizing decision making like this can be very useful, even in serious emergencies. A well thought through and considered course of action carried out in a calm manner is always preferable to a panicked or rushed decision. And during my career, I've been involved in a couple of potentially serious issues, from smoke in the cabin and an engine shutdown in flight. In both cases, a safe and successful outcome was achieved by adherence to the standard operating procedures, use of checklists, and good cooperation between the crew members. So, I hope I haven't alarmed you by telling you that faults and technical issues are fairly common on aircraft. Rather, I hope I've reassured you that we have robust and well-practiced procedures for coping with all eventualities. Because like I said, that's why we as pilots get paid the big bucks. Ha, big bucks, I wish. Fly safe, everyone. Pilot Pip signing off. Yes, we do want to hear from you. Send us some, uh, send us some emails. Send us some v- feedback via the website, or to uh, I'll leave it on our Facebook account, Simon. Yes, because um, uh, as uh, we uh, draw closer, ever, ever, ever closer to the air show season, um, we're hoping that uh, all you uh, listeners out there are going to be um, posting some photos uh, and uploading them onto our Facebook page. Yeah, definitely. Feel free to yeah send us some pictures on there. So, Simon, we're going to cr- uh, move on uh, with your uh, military aviation segment and some air show news. Yes. So, if uh, are you ready, Simon? Yes, I'm ready. Right, let's go. So with his military and air show news, I'll hand you over to Simon. Thanks very much, uh, Carlos. Uh, yeah, uh, first bit of news um, 
regarding the uh, tornado. Um, they're actually extending its um, lifespan. Uh, BAE Systems has signed a contract extension worth $125 million or $211 million to maintain and repair and upgrade the Royal Air Force Panavia's Tornado GR4 fleet until the type's retirement in 2019. The revised ATTACB agreement should deliver an overall cost saving of over £90 million against the terms of the previous deal, which has been due to expire in 2016, with BA attributing to the greater efficiencies in the fleet management in total contract for remaining five-year period of the GR4 operations is now worth $490 million, the company says. The investment will ensure our t- Tornado aircraft continue to be battle-ready for the next five years as a key part of the RAF's fast jet fleet, says UK Defence Secretary Phil- Philip Hammond. They will continue to form the backbone of a ground attack capability until the Lockheed Martin F-35 Joint Strike Fighter arrives and the Eurofighter Typhoon's ground attack capabilities is fully mature in the next few years' time. Records of the RAF as having a current active inventory of 100 Tornado GR4-4As and 8 GR4T trainers. That's quite a few aircraft, that is, son. That is, that is, uh, yes. And I, um, I, I'm like you, you must probably uh, love the Tornado um, aircraft at the air shows and uh, they used to have a, a pair of those in the last few years uh, flying during a demonstration at the uh, air shows which was um, very impressive um, with the um, pyrotechnics on the uh, it, run- yeah. runway yeah um, so that Seen was those at Farnborough. Very, that was very um, good. and you can actually feel when they uh, do the um, sort of pyrotechnics you can actually feel the heat and from the haze uh, after the explosion uh, when the tornadoes pass over so there's quite an intense heat because it's so fierce a explosion um but it's uh something very spectacular and impressive uh, to see and feel the heat so yeah right the next piece of news boeing continues efforts to keep the chinook v22 production humming um it's obviously the uh, chinook aircraft boeing continues to search for new buyers of the c h47 chinook tandem rotor helicopters it seeks to keep production at its factory near philadelphia active beyond the end of this decade the company is also seeking overseas customers for its Bell Boeing V-22 Osprey and is pursuing a plan under the U.S. Navy would use the type of, to resupply aircraft for its carrier battle groups. With the way the U.S. defence budget is, the international sales will help stabilise the production line and suppliers. Mark Bailhu, uh, Boeing's Director of Vertical Lift Business Development, tells Flight Global, Folks around the world are looking at this aircraft, Boulders adds uh, of the Chinook, which is assembled on the banks of the Delaware River near Philadelphia. That is nothing else that does what a Chinook does for the same cost effectiveness. The last Chinooks currently on order, which are part of a second multi-year deal for 155 aircraft, should roll off the production line by the end of 2019. So... That's, uh, that's the Chinook's been in service for quite a while. 1962. Wow. Uh, introduced into service. Um, it, first flew in 1961. <clears throat> yes. And uh, it's uh, still being pro- uh, produced, as Simon said. And there's been over 1,200 produced as of 200 uh, as of 2012, uh, with a unit price. If you want to buy one, Simon. How much? Uh, 38.55 million US dollars Wow! for uh, Chinook. Yes, and uh, it's got that unique um, double uh, twin rotors, uh, which are both 
um, I take the same size uh, looking at the aircraft and uh, each of the uh, rotor blades revolves in opposite directions to to the opposite um, set of bl- uh, blades and um, you know when a Chinook is coming you can hear it for miles off and uh, you can hear it fizzling away miles in the distance and uh, many a times I've been at home in the garden in the evening and during the day and uh, heard that unique uh, thump and thudding noise of the um, Chinook um, sort of approaching or or whatever. Um, have you ever heard that that noise? Only at, uh, I've, I've, I haven't seen a Chinook come over where we live here, but uh, I've seen the Chinooks fly at the air shows that I've been to over yes. the years. Yes. Um, quite a, a marvel to look at, really. They yes. are a really good bit of engineering. Yes, and uh, the Chinook display team uh, are well uh, worth uh, watching, and I believe they're going to be at the air show season circuit in 2014. So, yeah. Right, the next bit of um, sad news, uh, this, as uh, UK investigates the Lynx crash in Afghanistan. Um, Most probably uh, one or two listeners, or a lot of the listeners, uh, saw this in the news last week. um, This um, Lynx uh, uh, helicopter, uh, which unfortunately uh, crashed in Afghanistan on the 26th of April, uh, killing uh, five of its personnel. According to the MOD, the crash occurred during a routine flight of Kandahar province, southern Afghanistan. Three Army Air Corps personnel from the Royal Air Force Audubon Air Base in Hampshire were killed, along with their RF servicemen from the same site, and an Army reservist from the 3 Military Intelligence Battalion. Um, So that's quite sad news, isn't it? for that um but yeah, what, i remember seeing this on the uh, on the news channels what do that. you uh, think because um, that's quite a hostile area so um they've actually said it sort of um they, they've, in, they've got to investigate obviously into the reasons why the yes. aircraft went down because <clears throat> um, that that's, this is the second uh, fatal aircraft loss for the uh, uk armed forces in afghanistan in over a decade of combat operations uh, 14 personnel were also killed in 2006 during a mid-air explosion involving an RAF BAE Systems Nimrod MR2 surveillance aircraft. Yes. Um, um, it's, it's sad, really, because the Lynx, I mean, we, we've all grown up with the Lynx. Uh, it's a very, very popular aircraft, yes. um, uh, not only with, uh, with the Army, but with the Navy, Royal Navy as well, using, uh, using yes, the Lynx. Yes, and uh, this is one of the only aircraft um, that can officially uh, do a complete loop. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen um, the uh, YouTube videos. Yeah. Loop of the whole aircraft um, uh, turning upside down, and I've seen that many a times at uh, Duxford uh, with the Black Cats display team and uh, the Blue uh, Blue Eagles um, display team as well, and um, it's quite impressive to watch. And uh, I always love the uh, Lynx uh, display, but it's very uh, sad. And our condolences go out to all the uh, family and friends of the the uh, deceased uh, pilots and um, crew. Right, the next bit piece of news is another. Um, helicopter crash um it seems as though they're quite sort of pop up quite regular in our podcasts um this is um a taiwanese army uh, boeing ah-64e apache attack helicopter was ser- um was seriously injured when the aircraft crashed during a training flight on the 25th of april um flight global ascend online advisory service said that the aircraft was involved in a forced landing after its crew encountered a loss of power the rotorcraft came to rest on the roof of a building in a, a tail yun with its tail boom appeared, appearing to have separated on, on impact. Boeing's last December shipped the first six Apaches to Taiwan from 30 aircraft order, signed in June 2011 Ascend. 
which reports the destroyed aircraft was carrying the registration 808, says the loss reduces the Army's current active fleet of type to 17 units. The mishap represents a full hull loss involving an E-model or Block 3 example of the Apache, which are also currently operated by the U.S. Army. So... Yeah, looking at the pictures on the on the <coughs> Flight, Flight Global's website, that's, uh, the, the actual helicopter's in quite a mess. Uh, yes, and it's uh, hanging precariously off the side of this mm. um, building, um, and it's trashed to complete. It's quite surprising, because when you, when you see the Apache, when you sort of think of the uh, AH-64 Apache, you, you kind of think of something that's, you kind of think of a flying tank. Yes. Something that could really take a, a serious beating, but... Uh, this helicopter is quite quite badly damaged, um, yes. but the actual cockpit section does look uh, reasonably well intact. Yes, it uh, does. On here, just and the uh, rotors look as though they're folded o- over mm. the top of the uh, aircraft. Um, but this is unfortunate. All the uh, crew uh, involved were sort of um, injured quite badly. Mm. Right. The uh, next piece of uh, news is uh, the mighty Vulcan to roar over Cosford. Um, after much speculation, organisers have today confirmed that the Vulcan will provide its full display for the second year running. The Avro Vulcan aircraft registration number XH558 is the only aircraft of its type still flying anywhere in the world and makes a welcome return to the Midlands Premier Aviation event. Now, I haven't ever been uh, to uh, Cosford, um, but I know it's a... Uh, um, an interesting air show to go to, and I'm going to be adding this to my uh, list of uh, air shows uh, possibly this year. Um, other important news released today was the appearance of two operational aircraft from RAF Bryce Norton, which is the giant C-17 and Voyager aircraft, um, will be making their first ever appearance at RAF Cosford. So that's um, that's quite nice um, for the pe- uh, regular people who go to the RAF Cosford air, air show. Not one I've been to. <laughs> no, and um, they do actual ground runs of the um, ex-RAF Cultural Jaguar there, um, I believe. Um, hmm. So... Um, that uh, may be uh, worth looking into uh, going to that air show. But yeah, so that's uh, great news. Air show spokesman Amanda Butcher said, these three new aircraft make an, a great addition to our lineup, an opportunity to showcase to our audience RAF aircraft involved in current operations as well as iconic and popular Vulcan aircraft. Other aircraft appearing at the show as part of the five and a half hour flying display include the Red Arrows which is their 50th birthday as uh, we've said numerous times, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight and the Blades uh, which uh, fly the extra 300s um, normally in a set of four um, serviceability permitting and there's an arena featuring field gun teams and RAF combined pipes, drums as well as a craft hangar and a wide display of other attractions so um, Sounds like it's going to be a good air show, yes, actually, Cosford. Yeah, yes, that's, not, um, that's not one that has popped up on my sort of radar, <coughs> no. but uh, one we're going to have to look into, I yes, think. Uh, yes, and um, it's always nice to have the RAF sort of uh, bands there, um, sort of just adds a bit of um, sort of excitement to the build-up before the air show, because they normally sort of play, um, uh, the band sort of normally plays before the air show starts, which is sort of a, a tease to uh, open the air show, which is uh, enjoyable, and listen to that nice music before the uh, sort of uh, air show flying starts. Right, um, the next piece of news is 75 years of service. RAF Lossiemouth celebrates 75 years of service as both a RAF station and a Royal Navy base on the 1st of May 2014, which was, was that yesterday, wasn't it? That was yesterday, yeah. Yeah, the station officially opened in the spring of 1939, the war years, wow. 1939 to 1945, proved to be a turbulent beginning of the history of the station. 
The core uh, unit throughout this period was 20 operational training unit out in partnership with the legendary Vickers Wellington aircraft. The OTU trained thousands of aircrew and front operational line operational squadrons above the fields of Lossiemouth. In addition, many operational raids were launched from RAF Lossiemouth, including the sinking of the German battleship Tirpitz and a participation participation of a thousand bomber raids over Ger- uh, Germany so that is uh, quite impressive isn't it for a, um, a 75 year old uh, airport definitely yeah RAF um, base base yeah they've uh, they've definitely uh, had a good use out of the RAF <laughs> yeah. base there. yes in 1946 RAF Lossmouth shifted the control of its Royal Navy and a Royal Navy air station known as HMS Fulmer during this period Lossmouth was again instrumental in the training aircrew this time for the fleet air arm using fairy fair, fireflies and uh, supermarine sea fires. The station also home to a rather unusual unit, the German Seahawk Staffel, which was once one of the Seahawk squadrons to be formed as part of the Federal German Navy. So uh, look at these photos. Um, we've got quite a lot of uh, nice uh, photos um, of aircraft. And uh, we've got um, the Buccaneers on some of the pictures here, but... Um, this uh, got such a big history there. This uh, uh, airport, um, RAF base, and uh, uh, there's lots of uh, nice uh, photos uh, here. The future of RAF uh, Lossmouth will see three Typhoon squadrons relocate to Station One Fighter Squadron, two Army Cooperation Squadron, and return of six squadron, which will maintain a long, distinguished history beyond the 75th anniversary. From the autumn 2014, RAF Lossmouth will also be the home of the quick reaction alert interceptor north with a typhoon standby to protect uk airspace so uh that is uh pretty uh good they're going to keep that uh going and um a lot of people uh, will remember six squadron used to be based at ref coldishall so um and uh that's nice to have that uh going right the next piece of uh news is um the sea harrier to join ground displays um the sea harrier fa2 arrived by road earlier this week after being transported across the country and delivered safely back to RAF Cosford engineers who are now working hard to piece back together in time for the air show season. On loan from uh, um, Royal Navy Air Airspace Coldrose in Cornwall, the Sea Harrier ZH-796 was built in 1996 and has flown operational hours of approximately 1300 hours so that's not that much really it was retired from service in 2006 it was the last type to be flown from hms illustrious before it was decommissioned it now houses the uh, school of uh, flying and the flight deck operations at cold rose and uh, was used in support of the uh, navy ground crew training so um, I'm looking at this to see whether the aircraft is actually going to be um, doing ground runs but it'd be nice if it was the aircraft joins three other Harriers on display at uh, this year's air show, a GR3 and two GR9s, each with a, unique conf- um, with a unique configuration. The exhibit is part of a special display to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the fl- first flight of the Kestrel, the prototype of the Harrier. The original Kestrel is part of the RAF Museum's collection and will also be part of this special lineup. So that's um, quite a nice note. Have to try and look into this a bit more to see whether this um, these Harriers are going to be doing ground runs or they're just towed out onto the tarmac. But um, it's still good to see them anyway. It they're, is they're uh, such it is. an iconic aircraft. They are, and um, 
uh, mainly uh, British uh, design. And um, it was such a, uh, a sad sight when they left uh, UK airspace. And uh, to have only a few of these examples still exist in the UK is um, uh, trying to preserve a bit of uh, UK history because um, like the F-35, which is um, going to make its debut this year at um, uh, Farnborough and Riyadh, um, this is a sort of a, a brother or a sister from uh, that, isn't it? So... Mm. Um, this is where they originally got the idea because that um, sort of vertical takeoff uh, of this aircraft. So um, there's not many aircraft can do this, and and they're just ideal for helipads or landing on boats and all in uh, hiding up in sort of uh, high built up dense uh, forest areas. So that'd be good to see him. Definitely good to see him. Yes, and I used to always love the uh, Harrier display at many air shows, and uh, sadly missed. So uh, have you got uh, some good? Uh News for us for the air show side of things, then, Simon. Uh, yes, um, we've got the uh, Qatar Airways to display the A380 at Farnborough, as we've uh, said in uh, previous costs, and um, also be showing off the A350 as well. I'm um, looking forward to seeing that. Definitely, the, uh, de- yeah, looking forward that to seeing was, the uh, what I was trying to uh, chase you up uh, with earlier. So we've got the A350 um, flying as well. Um, so and then um, the uh, Dreamliner. Seven eight seven nine hundred would most probably be making a guest appearance, um, but hopefully uh, some of these aircraft we're going to actually board and maybe uh, possibly uh, get an um, an interview um, with uh, one or two people, which would be uh, good. So you've got some. Uh, so you've also got some good news for Riyadh then. Some more news for Riyadh. Yes, yes. A pair of classic combat jets will appear in a static uh, display of the Royal International Air Tattoo twenty fourteen, thanks to the Hellenic Air Force. From the Greek air arm, the pair will be a LTV A7 Corsair II attack aircraft operated by 336 Mira Squadron of the Araxis in Western Greece, part of the 116PM Combat Wing, which is now the only military unit in the world still flying the veteran A7s, which first took to the air in 1965 and earned its combat spurs with the US Navy and US Air Force during the Vietnam War. 33 Six Mirror Sisters Squadron, the Araxis based Wing 335, has converted the F 16 Fighter Falcon. So, this, um, I've seen these years ago um, at RAF Mildenhall, these aircraft, and um, uh, I can't remember the last time. I'll have to go through my archives on the photos. They're um, definitely going to contrast with the F 35. It's total yes, contrast. It's yes. complete. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so um, we've got lots of. Um, Lots of uh, aircraft um, and airshow news. Um, and then uh, if you go onto their sort of site, um, you're going to see lots and lots of uh, um, lists now being uh, configured for um, new new um, aircraft added to the uh, sh- airshow list. And the latest uh, country to confirm um, this impressive contingent of military aircraft, the Air Tattoo, is uh, Germany with four aircraft, each Air Force and Naval Art, air arm due to appear in the static park now a lot of people if you get there on the previous days um because uh Riyadh do um the air shows and they have a bronze silver and gold passes where it allows you to um watch the arrivals now a lot of aircraft um 
are only static at the air show, but obviously um, coming from all over the world, these static aircraft do fly in and fly out uh, at the start and the end of the uh, show. So if you're there um, before the show starts, which we are, we're there on the Red Arrows uh, first air show day, aren't we? Yeah, um, we're, there on the, we're there on the Friday. Yeah, with the pit, yeah. pit pass. So we're going to be watching uh, and keeping an eye on the sky as um, we get a lot of um, aircraft arriving that day. And they normally sort of start arriving with a few days before the air show and then departing on the um, day after the uh, air show is over. So when you say that, you say the pit pass, which we've got for Riyadh, Whenever you say that, Simon, I always imagine uh, like a, Grand a, for- Prix. a Formula One pit with these with uh, sort of area, you know, the the uh, Royal Air Force Red Arrows all parked up waiting for tire well, changes. Yes, and- <laughs> well, I'm a, a bit sort of um, confused by it all because um, they've called it the Red Arrows Pit Pass, and uh, so I take it that we'll actually uh, be with the Red Arrows or close by, uh, watching them do all their preparation uh, for uh, Riyadh and. Um, helping uh, with the 50th anniversary uh, birthday celebration. So That'll definitely be good. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, so um, I'm a bit, bit sort of, um, I say, a, a bit sort of excited. Um, that's the understatement, but it's exciting because I don't exactly know what um, the pit pass entails um, completely, but it's uh, something a little bit different, and I thought we'd do it this year because it's the 50th anniversary for the Red Arrows, as I keep saying. Um, but it's something that hasn't ever popped up before so i'm really uh, looking forward to this what's what simon is actually excited about really is uh, the fact that we're traveling down to uh Riyadh in uh, my tristar my yes. van yes yeah that's what you're really excited about yes. Simon. the thought of traveling <coughs> down in the uh, in the white van <laughs> to yeah. the air show and an l1011 <laughs> tristar van <laughs> you'll you, you you will honestly see us if you're if you're about in the dark um or at night time you will actually see us because um the amount of lights that carlos has on this um can i call it an aircraft or aircraft van the l1011 <laughs> tristar he's trying not to laugh <clears throat> and i'm keeping a straight face but this aircraft or van is um quite impressive and uh it does have the original l1011 tristar stickers on the side and then uh, it looks completely like an aircraft inside as well <laughs> the only thing we haven't got is a tail and wings we've got see, a tailgate see or... most 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 guys have their man cave or a room in their house where they can disappear to to um sort of relive their their dreams as such uh i don't have that uh, luxury here at the cottage so i have my van which has all my uh, aircraft um, bits and pieces in including the remove before <coughs> flight tag as well yeah. inside yes <laughs> Remove before flight. <laughs> oh dear! So uh, that's about all the time. Yes, all the news uh, we've got. Air show news we've got. Well, we? that's all the time uh, we've got at the moment because uh, Carlos is now uh, preparing his uh, evening meal with his wife, uh, who will be yeah. coming through the door shortly. Any moment now, my wife so will be coming through the door. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a more in-depth uh, air show roundup uh, next for episode twenty. For episode number 20. Yeah, Wow. wow. Episode uh, 20. Two zero, Simon. Yeah, two so zero. I'm going to try and uh, break down the um, air shows and try and get up to scratch uh, with um, all the main air shows. We've got Riyadh, we've got Farnborough, we've got Cosford, um, we've got Duxford, um, and then a lot of the uh, seaside uh, air shows as well, and then the air shows up the north, um, uh, and air shows. We've got Jersey and Guernsey, and we've got Old Buckingham. Um, we've got... Um, 
Brooklands, um, which is uh, down at Brantingthorpe. They have uh, one. Third of August, yeah. One there. Um, so uh, there's the, the Shuttleworth collection. Um, as, and also something I picked up on this week as well on the internet. On the 16th and 17th of uh, August this year, yes. uh, the Red Bull Air Race is coming to Ascot <coughs> Racecourse in Berkshire. Uh, you can get the tickets uh, from the uh, Ascot Racecourse we- race website and also on the Red Bull Air Race website um, uh, to see, uh, which is, it must be brilliant to see. Yes, um, now, um, if uh, anybody who uh, follows uh, the Red Bull Air Racing, um, this... Um, the actual uh, Red Bull Air Racing has made an appearance uh, before in the UK. It uh, came uh, um, to uh, the Docklands, and um, I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't uh, get a chance to go. But um, I would have loved to have uh, gone on the Thames and watched that around the Docklands area because anybody who has watched the uh, I've watched it on uh, TV many a times, and uh, it is quite impressive um, with all the uh, plastic or paper cones um, and uh, sort of gates they have to go through. Um, it's a very impressive thing uh, to watch. And um, the last time when they're in uh, London, they they were using the uh, Docklands uh, um, airport as the uh, place place to actually. Uh, uh, refuel and uh, take off from so uh, it's quite an impressive site um yeah if you but, go on the as on the ascot website on the actual site for the great you can actually get the tickets on there for 36 quid yeah so um i'm going to be looking into this um and going to write this down tonight um so we've got a date here um so the date for this is the uh, what did we say the 16th this one is sixteenth and sixteenth and seventeenth of August, August at yeah. Royal Ascot. I would imagine that's the uh, race course um, they're doing this. So, um, if you are interested in that, uh, have a look on the uh, Royal Ascot website, um, and it'll give you a full uh, list and uh, rundown of the uh, prices um, for everything. So, um, I'm going to uh, go home now and uh, check to see if I'm off because I think I may uh, <laughs> have to go to that. There'd be something a little bit different to a normal air show, wouldn't it? It'd, uh, yeah, it's watching the aircraft actually race round, or yes. sports aircraft yes. race round, yeah. Yep. So then we're going to bring uh, episode number 19 to a close then of the Plane Talking UK podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, as always. Uh, we love uh, love uh, all the, uh, the, the uh, listeners that we have who listen to the show each week. Me and Simon do appreciate it. Don't forget you can find us uh, on iTunes to download, to search Plain Talking UK. You can also go on our website as well at uh, allthews.plaintalkinguk.com, uh, plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. And if you want to send us an email direct as well, uh, you can also send us one to plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send us an email. Tell us, uh, tell us what you think of the show. Send us some feedback or send us some voice feedback. <coughs> you can send us an MP3 file using your smartphone or via your laptop, you can uh, send us a little file uh, with some voice feedback, as we've had in the past. So any last bits from you before we close, Simon? Uh, yes, so our feature aircraft. What are we going to do with that? Um, we're going to keep that for the, roll yep. that over to we're the gonna, next one? We're going to roll the feature aircraft over uh, to episode 20, because um, the aircraft that we've got uh, on our, our page for you to choose from uh, is quite, uh, quite a large selection of large aircraft to choose from. Yes. Um, we've had a few votes in so far. Uh, the winner at the moment is the B-52 Strato Fortress. 
Um, so we're going to bring that to you on the next episode and uh, hopefully that will still be in the running to be our chosen aircraft uh, in focus of the week. So from me, Carlos, I'm going to say goodbye to all the listeners. Thanks for listening again, as always. Uh, we love love the fact that uh, we've got loads of people who listen to the show. Please, please, please do send us some feedback because uh, we want to mention your names on the show and uh, send us some voice feedback. So from me, Carlos, it's a big uh, eyes to the sky and stay safe, people. Yes, and it's a big ice to the sky and a cheerio from me and uh, you have a good week and we'll catch up with you again uh, episode number 20 next week. Yes, and from me then, goodbye. Bye. Bye.